welcome back to Truck Tech, everyone. You know, it's a new month here in December, and we're uh, uh, winding down the year. But you know, one of the interesting things that happened this year was the coming together of a number of trucking groups, uh, major groups, uh, around the issue and the future of zero emissions trucking. Our guest today, Jim Mullen, a name familiar to many of you because of his background. Jim has been, uh, was a, a major part of Warner Enterprises for a number of years. Then he was the uh, chief legal officer and finally the acting administrator for the Federal Motor Carrier Vehicles, excuse me, the Federal Motor Safety Vehicle Association, Carrier Association. And then finally uh, went over, or not finally, but then next went to Too Simple, the autonomous trucking startup as chief legal officer and eventually chief uh, administrative officer. And now we find that Jim is the executive director of a new group started in March called the Clean Freight Coalition. Jim, welcome to Truck Tech. Alan, thank you. Great to see you again. Thanks for the opportunity to be yeah, on. Yeah, you too. I I'm really glad we ran into each other at the ATA because it gave me a chance, one, to catch up a little bit with you, and then two, to invite you to come on because I, I think what you're up to now is really interesting. We've had a number of good conversations over the years. Uh, I know we spent some time out at Too Simple together, and uh, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get a little bit into that. But I'm really curious, um, you know, your, your background, Jim, um, stretches all the way across the whole industry. I mean, you've gone from a from a carrier to an administrative role, all legal, of course, but, you know, legal space, and then ultimately to a startup and uh, and now uh, leading a, a coalition on a pretty big issue. Does all this come together? It just, does it make sense to you now that this all just kind of brings you to where this position? Yeah, it really does. Um, you know, it's interesting when you look at it, you know, three of those areas, you know, Warner, a publicly traded, long established uh, transportation provider, and then a couple of years in the Department of Transportation uh, leading FMCSA, and then a startup. Um, so you kind of see three very different perspectives on how uh, they conduct their business. And also, I was very fortunate to also have a, a very wide breadth of, of um different areas in my portfolio. And so, yeah, it, it does provide me a pretty unique perspective and uh, has allowed me to have a pretty wide network of, of stakeholders. Uh, so I have a, a great group of folks to call upon when I need help, which is, <laughs> is quite often, especially on this issue, as you would guess. So yeah, it has, it has brought a, it's been very beneficial for me, Alan, to have that type of a, a wide background. You know, before we move into some of the specifics of what you're working on, I, I am curious, though, you mentioned the three areas and they're they're disparate, but they're but they're similar. Where are the similarities and where are the differences in in those areas? Not everybody does what you've done, which is, you know, you might go from, say, carrier to, you know, another carrier. Or I know certainly in the case of uh, Kodiak, they were they were able to, to, to recruit from the industry, you know, um, uh, and uh, were able to bring in somebody. Uh, you know, it's interesting, though, how how similar and how disparate are these roles that uh, you played? Sure, sure. The the disparate is probably an easier answer. Um, you know, at, at Warner, again, publicly traded, one of the largest truck load carriers, large uh, logistics provider. Um, very, very strategic, very deliberate. Um, always got to keep the customer and, and driver at the top of mind. Um, and then of course the shareholders. So it was, it was what you expected a publicly traded company, uh, a lot of strategy and, and ex executing on that strategy. The, the government space, um, you know, I was, when I was there for the two years, 
I would always, you know, joke with the with the career staff about how long it takes things to get done within the government. And although that may sound like criticism, and to some extent it is, um, but they have so many, especially in the trucking space, as you know, such a wide perspective uh, and diversification of stakeholders in the industry. And so there's a reason why they have to be very deliberate because they have a lot of stakeholders that they have to take account for. Um, but that that was a challenge when I was there was, was the pace at which you could get things done or, or couldn't get things done. And then going into the startup, that was the exact opposite, right? Your hair's on fire at all times. Uh, you're trying to get things accomplished. Um, you know, when I arrived uh, at Too Simple, it was, uh, I think it was September or October of 2020. And we went public in April of 2021. So that was a fast and furious time for, for all of us at that company. So the, the, the similarities are, are easy ones. The similarities are um, all three of those groups uh, are huge proponents of the trucking industry and the transportation and supply chain and safety being paramount um, in, in moving goods across the country. And so it, it's, I often say the industry, the transportation, specifically the trucking industry, um, is just a great group of, of, of people, um, solid individuals responsible for moving over 70% of the nation's freight, you know, uh, in many states, the top employer. And so it, it's just a fantastic industry. And I've enjoyed every minute in all three of those those ranges, and even the fourth when I was doing and still do uh, lobbying on Capitol Hill. Um, I, I'm very proud to represent the industry that I am representing. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, about your latest thing. You know, in March, the Clean Freight Coalition was born. Um, it had uh, obviously heavyweights all across the area, you know, the five, the original five members. And then they bring in Jim Mullen, who knows a little about every one of them and has, you know, worked very closely with them. Um, don't you love the third party, third person, by the way? But, uh, you know, that now uh, I guess the question really becomes as we get into the subject of what you're working on, um, are we are we now looking at the Clean Freight Coalition mostly in a battle with California, or do you see influencing federal legislation as your swim lane or a little of both? I'd say predominantly on the federal level, Alan. Um, there are some folks out there in California, the California Trucking Association, of course, being the primary um, group that is is waging battle, so to speak, with with CARB. Uh, we support them. Um, our members of the CFC support them. Obviously, the ATA, TCA, NTTC, truck dealers, um, all are very supportive of the CTA, California Trucking, and what they're trying to accomplish. So we're really prim primarily focusing our, our time and attention uh, on the federal level. And, and the reason why these associations form this coalition is – you know, there's some very serious concerns on the trajectory of both the EPA and the CARB um, emission standards and the, primarily the, the timeline by which they're requiring, you know, zero emission trucks to be penetrated into the, into the fleets. Um, and so our, our primary purpose is to propose um, sound public policy that, that advocates and supports a smooth transition to zero emission trucks that, that's A, affordable, B, sustainable, and then, of course, most importantly, that it doesn't uh, jeopardize our supply chain. And we have some very serious concerns if if the regulators continue down this path on these timelines and insist upon adherence to those timelines, that there's going to be um, tremendous, tremendous disruption in the supply chain. Um, and speaking of FMCSA, you know, I was in that seat as acting administrator when COVID hit and saw from that that level, that perch, so to speak, 
um, how the supply chain came to a screeching halt and all the things that had to be done uh, to keep it moving. And, you know, that was a, a worldwide pandemic. And our concern is this is going to be a self-induced but very similar size results uh, if we can't put some sanity and some rationality into these timelines. You know, I, I, I come out of the car business, as you probably know, I spent a long time at General Motors and, and CAFE was one of those subjects that, uh, you know, the, the industry quite honestly railed against. And it said, oh, we can't do this. We can't do this. And then lo and behold, they did it. And so I, without taking on that argument that you can't do this, I, I guess the question becomes, is there a, is it a, a, a delay tactic or is it truly something that if we move forward and we are moving forward? I mean, California, you know, January, you're going to see, you know, uh, in the ports, obviously, you know, no new, or excuse me, no old trucks will qualify anymore. Um, and then we're going to have a small percentage of, of trucks that have to be zero emission. But I guess the question is, can there be a, uh, an agreement that gets you to a 50 state solution. That was always one of the things that seemed to be a holy grail for the car business, right? Can we get to a 50 state solution or is California going to be able to just do its thing? Well, the hope is that it's not just going to be allowing California to do its thing. Uh, that's the strategy. And that's why we're focusing our time at the federal level. Uh, and there is some traction. I mean, in bilateral, by, by, um, uh, by cameral, uh, support for having one federal uh, standard and on a more reasonable timeline. Because you're right, it, it's and everybody, every member of, of the CFC, by the way, wants to get the zero emission trucks. Um, and again, going back to my background, you know, in the autonomy space, um, you know, there there were there were, as you are very well aware, there were claims that they'd be, you know autonomous already, uh, more so on the passenger of the truck side. And so what you kind of have, in my opinion, uh, Alan, and this is right up your alley, is you have the OEMs um, and some startups in, you know, alternative power trains for trucks and setting expectations that they may not and probably will not be able to attain. Then you have the fleets who, they're, they're basically agnostic. Agnostic. You know, hey, give me a powertrain that's affordable and reliable, and I'll figure it out from there. And I think what has happened is there has been um, perhaps some some well, posturing is the right word. That's not the right word, Alan. But there have been some expectations set um, by some stakeholders themselves that um, are not going to be attainable. And when, when I talk to folks. Look, I was, I was at a uh, state trucking association uh, conference about a month and a half ago, and I was a panel on a panel with two of the OEMs, and they both said throughout the course of the discussions that there would be diesel-powered trucks, you know, for the next several decades. And I'm sitting there scratching my head, and I think to myself, but that's not what your guys are necessarily saying, you know, out there in the public. And so... One of the things we're trying to accomplish is level setting the expectations. And I could go on um, in, in some significant detail about the obstacles, right, Alan? Is, for instance, you talked about the EMA, the truck and engine manufacturers. For the greenhouse gas three EPA proposed rulemaking, um, the EMA hired um, the Ricardo Group to do a study about the infrastructure. And Ricardo says, to hit the EPA greenhouse gas three standards by 2032, 
you would need to install about 1.5 million battery electric charging stations around the country. 1.5 million in the next, what is that? Um, nine years. So, and if you look at a study by Atri, Atri says that to electrify the nation's heavy-duty trucks, heavy-duty trucks, that would require an increase in 14% of the, the existing electric grid. And where's all this energy going to come from? And if you talk to the people who build these power plants, they say it's at least seven years to be from the, the, the time that the utility provider decides they want to increase capacity to actually finishing the increase in capacity. It's at least seven years. That's in Texas. That's the fastest. Um, so the, the electrification has a lot of issues that we're not talking about, or at least aren't fully addressing yet. And that doesn't even touch the issue of the critical minerals to produce these batteries. So there are so many obstacles, Alan, to get to, to where EPA and CARB wants to be in 2032 that have yet to be solved. And we've seen this before in the trucking industry, right? You, you, you recall uh, with the problems with engines about a decade ago when the standards, the EPA standards changed and, and they had to rush production of these vehicles and it caused a huge disruption in the trucking space. Um, and our concern mm -hmm. is you're going to see that on steroids. And that's what we're trying to prevent. Okay, let's talk about the EMA for a minute because you you brought them up, and uh, you know they were originally a member of the coalition for about three months, I guess, and then ultimately they went off and they cut their own deal with CARB, uh, basically trading uh, an agreement for more time to get there. If I probably oversimplifying that a bit, but. What did that do to the coalition at that point? I mean, you know, were you able to sort of hold together? I may imagine you had a flurry of phone calls at that point, um, you know, calming yeah. people down and, and say, you know. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Um, so they were one of the founding members. Um, the founding members were the truck engine manufacturers, the American Trucking Association, truckload carriers, tank truck carriers, and the American uh, Truck Dealers, which is a part of NADA. Uh, and then we've added some more members. We've added NATSO. We've added the National Motor Freight Traffic Association, which is an LTL association in D.C. Uh, and then most recently, we added the American Bus Association, which, uh, you know, somewhat interesting because they're not transporting freight, but they're regulated by the same entities, both at the EPA and then DOT and then, of course, at CARB. So very similar issues. Um, but it was it was um, even from early on uh, when we formed the coalition. The, the EMA folks uh, wanted to be a little more measured in the things that we did. Um, and, and for me, it was pretty obvious as to, you know, why that was going on. They are the regulated, regulated entity and they have to play nice with those folks, maybe more so than the fleets do. So I understood their position, um, but it became obvious that, that therefore the strategy wasn't going to be in alignment. And so... Uh, the members decided, including EMA, you know, parted on very uh, favorable terms. Um, we still, you know, collaborate with them on certain things. Uh, but to your point, right, so they, they got out of the organization, the coalition, end of June, and a uh, very short time period thereafter, they entered into that agreement with CARB. And, and again, that was one of those things that, uh, from their perspective, from the OEM's perspective, it, it made some sense. They needed some more time to be able to sell diesel trucks. So, and of course, that does benefit the fleets. Um, but for instance, you know, one of the provisions was that they were going to adhere to the CARB timelines, regardless of any of the pending litigation or future litigation. So that really kind of put fleets and other stakeholders in a box on that issue. And so that has caused some consternation. And, you know, 
we're all grown-ups in the room. We all got to work through those issues, and and we we continue to do so. You know, I'm not so sure that the EMA carb agreement is working out the way that that, that both sides wanted it. Um, I'm not obviously involved in the inside of that, but but I understand there are some issues. And um, you know, California Trucking has that pending litigation uh, against CARB, um, and it'll be interesting to see as it progresses. You know, if it is successful, what what does EMA and OEM do? What do they do about that? Um, because obviously, there's going to be a lot of time between now and, and the end of that litigation and before we get to 2027. Um, so it'll be very interesting times. Um, I, I will say that uh, getting back to CFC focusing on the federal level, you know, come November of next year and the elections, that's going to be a pretty important process as it relates to these issues. Um, you know, if there's a change in administration, um, you could see some changes at the EPA level. You could see maybe um, a withdrawal of the Clean Air Act waiver. Uh, that, that California was granted. There's a lot of things that can still happen, um, which could slow down this process. And again, as I say that, the, the fleets want to get there. If there, if there was an affordable, um, reliable, and, and, and a, a vehicle that, that fit all the applications, um, they're all in. They're all in. But the fact of the matter is, there is not a BEV truck that has a reliable range other than maybe 180, 200 miles. I know that Tesla and Pepsi had some tests where they claim they went 400 plus miles, you know, but that's a handful of trucks. And so you, you can't do in the medium long haul space with the battery electric truck right now. And again, a battery electric truck costs about $450,000 compared to a $200,000 diesel. So obviously your, your, your price point goes up by two, two and a half. Uh, of course, then just on your on the federal excise tax, which is a twelve percent tax, that's another you know thirty thousand dollars plus uh, just on the FET. So there, there's all types of issues with with this this very focused um, process that, that the regulators are going through um, just on a timeline basis. So and again, at the end of the day, you know when when you talk about these increased costs both at the fleet level and, of course, at the national level, building out this infrastructure, somebody's going to have to pay the piper. And, and to a large extent, we believe it's going to be the consumer that's going to be the one that's going to pay the piper. So we, we're just trying to educate folks on all these different obstacles. Again, not be naysayers. We're not naysayers, but there are some very serious obstacles that need to be overcome. And we're extremely concerned that you can't overcome them on the timelines set forth well, currently by CARP. Yeah, it's interesting, Jim. You mentioned a few minutes ago that, you know, uh, autonomy thought that they would be out there running driverless already and things like that. So, you know, uh, gosh, you were too simple when they did the first driver out pilot. And, you know, that's still the only driver out pilot that that we're aware of uh, here in the U.S. Um, yeah. A lot of things slipped because of money in that space, right? People ran out of runway and, you know, uh, in the case of Too Simple, they had some, you know, reoriented thinking, you know, you and others all left there at one time, pretty much, whether it was for different reasons or not, doesn't matter. But yeah. I, I guess the, the question now, though, is a lot of this is policy and it is sort of a regulation and working things out. I mean, can you everything you mentioned is true. And I throw infrastructure there as well. We're seeing people with a lot of money, you know, trying to create infrastructure around the ports, especially for charging, but they can't get all the power they need. So they're using temporary power and things like that. Um, this is nothing that's going to get fixed right away, but do you realistically 
see one of the scenarios that you mentioned as perhaps sort of slowing this down? I think you call it sort of sensible and reasonable, I think, is your, is yeah. your watch terms. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I do think so. I do think so. And in, in, you kind of saw it in the light duty, right? The way where California's already kind of rolled back some of their timelines on the light duty. And I do think, and I, I don't, I don't speak for EMA. I certainly don't speak for the OEMs. Um, but, but, you know, I, I do hear that there's, I don't call it an assumption, but a, a, a belief that, you're not going to be able to meet these timelines. And so what they're going to do is they'll just knock them back the same way they did with light duty. Could happen. I don't know. But but the problem with that is, as you know, Alan, all these, this industry is putting so much time and money uh, and resources into trying to abide by these timelines. And so it's just a colossal waste of money. It's a, it, it, it creates false expectations. I mean, if, if I talk to people that don't know anything about trucking and I say, how, how many battery electric trucks you think are out there running around today and, and then staying away from, I don't know, 25%, you know, million, two million. In fact, there's, there's less than a thousand trucks out there running on a powertrain other than diesel. Right. And, and so just think about the sheer um, mass proliferation that has to occur to actually move the nation's freight by 2036 um, on, on zero emission trucks as, as California wants. It just, it's, it's just not attainable. Uh, do I think it's going to happen someday? Absolutely. And I think it's going to take a more holistic, you know, all in approach. It's going to take battery electric. It's going to take hydrogen, uh, renewable, biodiesel. It's going to take all those things. And, and if you, if you were to do it backwards now and know what you, knowing what we know today, like, like the renewable, that is a net, um, emission, right? Net zero, net negative emissions, because in the renewable, you're capturing the the emissions from farms and, and, and like operations. And so you're reducing reducing the emissions um, from the manure, literally just the manure, and you're putting it into a, the, the, the gas tank and your, the, the tank and you're running um, darn near clean energy, right? And so if you look at diesel truck today being 100%, right, the baseline for emissions, and if you look at battery electric, you get about a third percent of the life cycle of, of the truck on emissions. If you look at what they expect battery electric to be, this is all from Atri, by the way. If you look at what battery electric look, is expected to be in about 10 years, it's about half is, is the emission level as diesel. But if you do it re with renewable today, the energy that's available today, it's a two-third percent reduction in emissions. So I'm always asked, and to which I don't have the answer, I'm always asked, why are we doing it this way? Why are we so aggressively just was chasing this one option, the battery electric? Is it at the expense of the others? I don't know, but it certainly isn't helping the others. And, and that's another thing that we're trying to do as a coalition is to help promote and advance um, the proliferation of these other alternatives. And um, I think we're making progress. And I will give, you know, um, there's that $7 billion hydrogen hub uh, grant money that just got awarded by the DOT a couple of weeks ago. That's great stuff. Now implementing it properly is, is going to be dicey. And by the way, all 7 billion of that doesn't go into trucks. That's aviation. That's other modes of transportation. But that's promising. And, and because we do believe, as you know, you know, hydrogen is most likely the answer for the medium and long haul space because of limitations on batteries. Yeah. Let me take our last bit of time. We've got a little over a minute left. Let me ask you, because you spent time in the autonomous space, I want to get your sense on, and you were quite 
you were the spokes guy, really, uh, for Too Simple for a while around the idea that it was safe and it was reliable. And, uh, you know, in the early days, uh, you know, of, of Too Simple, you were the front person for that. How do you feel about autonomy now? Are You know, we've seen some slippage, as you mentioned, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, going and taking the driver out of the truck. How do you see this playing out? We've got like a minute to go here. Why don't you give me your best take on that? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still a huge advocate for for autonomous trucks and specifically the safety. I mean, it, it's you mentioned the, the runs that Too Simple did without a driver in it. Um, they were flawless runs. The technology is amazing. It's not just Too Simple. I obviously still have a lot of, of friends that are stakeholders in the successful autonomy, and they, they tell me that the other L4 folks um, have similar technology now. And so the technology is fantastic. You're limited distracted driving, impaired driving, fatigue driving, all those things. And and it's, it's gonna be a game changer because uh, having been the regulator, you can only have so many knobs you can turn. Uh, and of course fleets, they, they try to squeeze everything they can um, out of the technology to be a safer fleet. And I do think autonomy is going to be an answer. It needs a, a, I haven't always been this way, but I'm coming around to this. It does need a federal framework so the states don't have to be the people, you know, holding the bag if something bad happens. The feds need to step up. I know FMCSA is in the process of the rulemaking course that's been going on since 2018 now. They need to get that done. They need to set a federal framework so the states feel comfortable with what's going on. And it's going to happen. I, you know, I hope that the, the stakeholders that said they can get the driver out in 2024, um, I'd love to see that happen. And if it takes connected yeah. infrastructure, that, that's okay. That's okay. Um, in fact, I kind of think connected infrastructure to the trucks might be kind of some training wheels that would help regulators, law enforcement, and, and some other industry stakeholders to feel comfortable with it. So I think it's going to happen, Alan, and it's going to be helpful. Okay. Jim, it's been great catching up a little bit with you. I hope we can have you back sometime. Thanks for uh, for the work you're doing now. Uh, great to have a, a take on this that isn't always in the rah-rah space. Sometimes I feel like we do that here. We don't mean to, but, uh, you know, it's good to have a little bit of a maybe a dose of reality. So thanks for joining us today. Folks, we will be back next week with a new show. We are always available to you on the FreightWaves YouTube channel. Uh, you go to shows and then you hit Truck Tech and you'll get a full rundown, a full uh, playlist of what's available there. And uh, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.